Hey, welcome back, People Church. So good to have you here. Yep, we're pumped, we're excited. Uh, if you're new, you're joining us in our Gone But Not Forgotten series. Uh, we are here, it is week four. And uh, we got Easter next week, or Easter's, as I like to call it. Um, but right now we are in Gone But Not Forgotten. I think it is a, a amazing series that we have hinged a lot on. And it's by no mistake. Like, and I want to keep prefacing this. We are in week four. It's a seven-week series. Who knows if it goes longer, what God's going to do. But I will say this, that we have said that we are, we're hanging on this series, things like breakthrough. We're hanging things on this series like freedom and redemption and things of that nature. And at, at, at the outset, it seems crazy that it would be a series about generosity, but we're kind of tying it to freedom in our heart, freedom in our relationships. And the reality is we're going to keep going there. Why? Because the truth is this, that the only thing that we see in the Bible compete with God quite often is that of either finance or God's of provision. And the truth is that that's how everything, I think all humans have always thought of how will we sustain ourselves? And so it is hard to get away from that because we want breath more than anything. And if we know that thing's gonna keep us up, keep us afloat, then it changes the way we do all things. And if we could trust God with that which is most difficult, every other trustful won't seem as far. So we're going for it. If you're here for the first time, it is so good to have you here no matter where you are around the world. I always say, well, I don't always say actually, but I do always think, and I said it uh, in, in one of our services this week, that I never knew what I was walking into in church. Like I thought I knew, but then it wasn't until I actually showed up that my mind was blown because I didn't anticipate a God that actually brings freedom. I was anticipating a religion that brings bounds. A religion that stops, not a God that frees and sends us. So that's what we're believing for here today. If you're here for the first time, we're believing God's going to do big things. But as always, we pray because I need it. I need God to show up and uh, we want God in the center of everything we do. So we're going to pray, invite you to pray with us and then we're going to jump into the, to the message. Father, we pray that you fall in this place, Holy Spirit, that on the other side of this camera, people would not be in a room separate from this moment, but Lord, that they would have a connected moment where your spirit unites us, brings us together. We pray, Father God, every little thing that holds us back, God, that we would be abolished and broken in this series. And we pray, Father God, for freedom as we keep moving into all the things that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Gone, but not forgotten. We can leave an impact beyond our years. I want to speak uh, from the subject today. Freedom is a state of heart. Freedom is a state of heart. Have you ever noticed or found it odd that growing up, if you, you know, stand before a mentor or you're in a class where they ask you what you are called to do for the rest of your life or definite job interview question, for sure, okay, it is this. What would you do if money wasn't an issue? Sometimes it's phrased with, what would you do if you had a billion dollars? Basically, phrased different, but asking some really important questions. One, if money wasn't an issue, what would you do? Like, what's your dream? But I think secondly, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do with it? Is both a revealer of your passion point, but both outworked in the sense of purpose. Because if you had a billion dollars, you got the opportunity to do something. Saying that money's not an issue is just saying basically you're good. But saying you've got enough to do what you want 
is now both free, but purpose. Why do I put that out there? Because in this series, what I find is a lot of people have been kind of getting their mind around how is a series about generosity tied to my freedom? How is it tied to my relationships? Well, I know this, if you can't trust God with the most important thing of your life, you definitely won't trust Him with anything else. Because if it is that important and you've made a way to, you've made a way for it to work without Him, how are you going to give it up? Freedom is a state of heart. Where do we get this in the Word? Let's just go, let's start off today, humor me. We're going to go to Matthew 6 and we've heard it before, but I think it's worth reading. Matthew 6, 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, face value, powerful statement, right? Like where your treasure is, there your heart is. What you love is visible in what you protect. That's why we've got some areas in our life that we should be concerned about if we don't let people talk to them. Because I love this thing. Don't talk to me about my, my issues in my life because I, I love being in control of them. Don't, don't, don't test me on this because it, it is mine. This is mine. I love this, right? But beyond that, what I think is powerful is if you really pull this verse apart, it's not simply asking, talking about the simple truth of you protect what you love, but it's actually challenging us to where our heart is actually anchored. It's challenging us if you read it again, right? It says this, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Cool, great. It seems like good financial advice. Like God's the financial advisor. You sat down and he's like, hey guys, just want to let you know uh, where you live, things decay, uh, but where I am, everything's safe. And this is the bank of God. So um, why don't you just deposit here and uh, it shall be safe. Like that's what it sounds like at face value. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Store it up where it cannot be taken. But then it says, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's not saying that you love treasure. It's saying where you choose to place your treasure is where you've also placed your heart. I love heaven because that's where I've got everything that matters most to me. But man, no, I'm in love with this world because that's where I've got all my treasure. It's basically telling us, are you living temporary but desiring eternal impact? Because if you're living temporary, you can't see past now. And where you think your investment is safest is right here. My job, oh my gosh, I cannot live without my job because if I didn't have a job, I couldn't have this and my vision board has a Tesla. (laughs) Like, I want one. So like, what am I gonna do? I mean, I've got college debt and I've got this and that and we start to just go all in. But what this verse is telling us is where you've gone all in is, what, is where your heart really is. It's what you love most. I see a problem right here straight away off the bat, beginning of the message, because if we are Christians and we're supposed to be this example of loving God and chasing God and God-like things, maybe there's a reason that the church often prays about things that it should get about. Maybe we pray about things because prayer is when you ask God to do something that sometimes you're not willing to do yourself. 
right? Like often we're like, God, if you could just bring the building, if you could, but do you know what would happen if the collective church chose to look a little like Acts 2.42, where the believers, like something fell upon them and they brought everything they had. They had all things in common. And then God added to the church daily, those who were being saved. Maybe the difference is that they fell more in love with where they came from and where they were going back to than the temporary place that they actually put their feet on now. See, this giving series is not so much simply about the fact that, you know, it's, it's giving, it's cool. It's, it's a giving series, God do It's actually a relocator and a reminder and a revealer of where you're actually really standing. Like, because if your treasure is in heaven, and that's obviously then where you love most, then awesome. Guess where I've also put in heaven then? Let's just, actually, let's just rewind a bit. Let's put a framework out there. Let's put a framework out there and just ask the question, where is it safest? Let's just put that out there. Where is it safest? You ever notice like where is safest as you grow up changes? Like my boys, I already know where they hide everything. Because I hid the same place. Every, everything is always under the bed. Where'd you put it? Under the bed. I'm gonna keep this safe under the bed. I couldn't even find one of their teeth once because you know, you're trying to do the swap, under the bed. Everything under the bed. If they get a toy that they love, under the bed. If, because we got four kids, they don't wanna share, you know, you don't want, you don't want your brothers getting their hands on what you've got. Even Rivi, under the bed. No one wants her Barbies, but under the bed. Because it's safest in their mind, right? That's why there's a place we also go to. The person you often tell your secrets to is also the person you tell your best information to. It's the person you run to to ask help from. It's the person you call when you're in need because it's the safest place. So on the premise of the safest place being somewhere you keep everything that matters, and how is there a time between my generosity and the way I live? Come on, the world's not all about money. Well, what I have found is usually keep everything that matters to you in the same safest place. So if I keep my resource in heaven because my heart's in heaven, that's where I'm going to keep my marriage. That's where I'm going to keep my hopes for marriage because I believe that it's better to come from heaven than it is to be manufactured by man. It is better that I get it with God timing than my pursuit. And this ties into everything we do. We could go all day, we go all day. That's why even as humans in the simple process of trying to get each other to dream, we abstract the thing that seems to hold us back, money. So if my heart is in heaven and my kids are there and my purpose is there and my future is there and everything I love most is is where? Where I love most. I've always read this verse like, Ah, uh, if you love heaven, then, you know, well, you keep your, your, your money there, not so much you love heaven, you just love money, but, you know, you're going to keep it there, basically meaning you're really good at parting with your money or you're parting with your finance or AKA deeper root again, because finance is just what it is, currency. Currency is just a means to trade. Trade is just a means to get what you want. That's all it is. So if we're really talking, what I want most I, we often look at it as in heaven, if I, if I put it in heaven, I'm willing to part with the very thing that'll bring me what I want most. Yeah. 
But this sounds more like an investment portfolio. This sounds a little bit more like a check of where my heart's at. This sounds a little bit more like what do I actually love? I want to put this statement out there as we proceed. I think we've got to put this out there. I believe it is perfectly fine to have wants. But I honestly believe there is enough biblical premise to suggest that we should only have one desire. Those things do get twisted, mind you. Biblical premise, wants. It's okay for me to want a whole bunch of things. But by Paul's own confession, he is content when he has everything and he's content when he has nothing. Meaning, hey, sure, there's some destinations I would rather, I would want, but they're not most important to me. Because see, what you desire is more than simply a want. A want is I can have and don't need to have. A desire is I cannot live without. And what happens for us quite often is that if our premise is that we believe in this heaven thing and we love it and we want to live attached to the source, then we often are really good at desiring one thing and being okay with wanting many. But when we flip the script the other way, we typically run through this earth desiring everything and sometimes reducing God to the level of want. Most often when you desire Everything that this earth has to offer, you put God in the category and a good relationship with God and understanding of God and a good church and a church to be anchored to in the category of wants. I don't know about that, Chris. It kind of sounds a bit, well, let's put it this way. How many of us have quit a job? No, left a church to pursue a job versus turning down a job to be planted in a church? Why? Well, why? I'll tell you why. Because this is a good offer. I mean, they got dental, you know? I don't know what that means, but in Australia, every show we ever watch, because in Australia, we get, you got the choice, right? You got free healthcare, or you can pay for healthcare, but our healthcare is good, so you just kind of, you know, whatever, right? But over here, so me and my brother, we watch TV, and it's like every movie that said they got a good job was like, does it come with dental? Oh my gosh, it's got dental? We were like, these Americans love their teeth. Like, if the job doesn't look after my smile. It's like, I, I didn't quite understand it. But anyway, we often think of the salary, the package, the arrival. What will people say? I finally made it. And what we think is, yeah, of course, I'll pursue it because I've got to pursue the American dream. I've got to pursue number one. It's me. I live this life as a me-driven life with church being a complementary factor. And whenever I've asked people, aren't you concerned with like not finding another good church? And they're like, no, nah, look, do I want a good church? Yes. Huh. Yeah, I, I would want a good community. Of course I want a good community. Of course I want to be in that place where I'm like in love with God. Yeah, I want it. But what I desire most is evident not only what I chase, but the very thing I'm chasing, where does it come from? This is a challenge to every single one of us. And mind you, stats, most marriages divorce, end up in divorce because of money. Because of the conversation and the the way that they prioritize their finances, this is it. You know that most churches don't lack vision, they lack provision. 
It's a, I, know, I know, there was alliteration, didn't mean it to sound very preachy, but it's just a fact, okay? We have enough to do what is needed out there. But could we part with the lifestyle that is so ingrained in our human nature? That's why I said last week, if we can't live beyond now, we're living short-sighted. Because we only have a vision for this earth. But if you and I start storing our, 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 our finance, our resource, what matters most in heaven, what we're starting to realize is this, man, that's where my heart is. Now let's stop right there. Why is this an important series? Why people church do we need to get it? Because we've got a great vision, but our vision will never be accomplished if our heart is not yearning and anchored in heaven. Let me tell you how this little finance issue plays out in an evangelistic issue. It plays out in a marriage issue. It plays out in everything we could do. It plays out in a condemnation issue because you got no time for that if you're running towards heaven. When my heart is anchored to heaven, all of a sudden I'm like, man, all of a sudden I realize this. I start to count my life not in eras, but in minutes. Man, I've only got minutes here. Life is but a breath. King David, what am I that you would think of me? All of a sudden I start to think, man, and all of you, you don't know him yet? You don't know what he did for me yet? Man, when my heart's anchored in heaven, I'm trying to bring you with me. I'm wanting to tell you about your freedom. I'm wanting to love you differently. I want to forgive you because I've been forgiven. I want to make my marriage work. And I'm not condem like bringing condemnation to someone that has a split marriage. Hey, look, we all have our mistakes. That's just the title to one of them. But I'll tell you what, an anchor makes us want to kind of shift it, salvage what we can, change, grow. Why? Because I'm anchored here. But if I'm anchored right here, a construct and, a, and, and, and a, a dimension that is completely about us. Yeah. We're, not, we're, not, we're not living with any kind of purpose. We're not trying to drive something. A church like that will be gone and forgotten. But the whole goal of this series is that you and I would remember that we could leave legacy. That the wells that Abraham drank, that, that, he, sorry, he, that he dug were not only enough to actually water his future descendants, but also his enemies. Can I just say right there, is that not Jesus? Is it not Jesus that he would dig wells deep enough that even the people that don't love him, oops, sorry, that don't love him, find him? Because he loved us even when we were his enemies. This is the gospel, this is kingdom. This is what it is to talk generosity and how it's tied to everything. Why? Because it's there and provision is always the number one reason for selfishness. Let's, let's just read a few more verses for me. Um, let's go to, you know what? I think it is important that we read another New Testament verse, just a little few paragraphs down. And it is Matthew 6, verse 24. And I think it is important we read this because it, it, really, uh, it really brings a concept that we might not be bold enough, brave enough, or willing to admit. Because you've got to understand this truth about every single one of us humans. We are the number one salesman in our life. And the first person and customer that we're trying to sell is ourselves. We always want to sell ourselves. So we don't want to believe the things that we would have to confront because then we would have to confront them. So better to put it in a different way that I could leave it. But this is a very confronting verse because it says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other 
or you will, be de- you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Another version says God and mammon. Mammon was a known God of provision. It was a, uh, it was kind of like people could say, you know, Aphrodite and whatever she's about. I don't know what she, I don't follow her, but she was the first one that came to my mind. But, um, you know, mammon was like seen as a God of provision. Now, you got to understand that pr- the, the, the parts prior to this verse It's basically speaking about how provision, what it does for someone. But everything that you talk about provision, providing, safekeeping, allowing, freedom, time with family, these are all the same things that God offers us. So you've got a direct competing opposition. And it says that we will either love one or hate the other. It definitely starts to feel like money can have its chains and its ties to us. And it definitely is starting to feel like freedom is a state of of the heart. Because where your heart is, and then all of a sudden right here, it's saying, hey, you can only serve one master. Because if you don't, it's not saying that you have no ability to serve two. It's just saying you're going to love one and hate the other. Which is why we love it when we speak about the topics we're passionate about, but we hate it when somebody speaks about generosity and resource. Because why? If you want to know who you're serving, just know which one makes your heart beat a little faster. If when we talk about resource and vision, you get angry, I already, there you go. If you hate the person bringing truth that is found in the Bible surrounding tithes and offerings and giving, you've got a master. And you might have two, but there's only one that you're in love with. That's just a fact. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be controversial, you know, I'm not trying to, yeah, okay, because, you know, it's like, pastor, there's a thing at the moment where, like, everyone wants to be dragged by the pastor, everyone loves it, you know, oh, he came for our neck, like, everyone loves it, right? And I've never understood that, but, like, people thank me more when I'm harsh. <laughs> what? Like, I could be, I could come for people, and they're like, thank you. I was like, I think I can enjoy, I think I can learn to enjoy this job. <laughs> this is great. I love it. You're going to love one and despise the other. This is a matter of the heart. Malachi 3 verse 10, if you will. Let's read this one. This is an aligning one. And it actually speaks to how this subject is also being tied to one of the moments where God's people often strayed and just kind of were distant from Him. And His response, I think, is interesting because He brings up the same subject. It says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? What? You ever, you ever, you ever hung out with someone and they say something and you're like, oh, I thought we weren't good. You brought a random fact up. Now I know you're upset about something. That's actually a lot of times, you know, me and my wife, sometimes I know something's up and it's not till she says something. I'm like, oh yeah, I, you're not just quiet right now. I, I did something. Like we just, someone, you just know something from left field. You're like, how's that connected though? I've met with people and like their grievances, they say, oh yeah, I'm just looking for like, you know, I'm just like trying to look for something a little just more my style. And then they say something completely left field. And it's like, yeah, because everyone's too young. And I'm like, wait, different style? Or you don't like the type of people? That's disconnected. 
which means it's connected to something else. So they're like, talking to God, he's recanting their conversation. He's like, hey, so you've strayed from me. And you're asking, how can you come back? And then you often always ask me, then how do, you, how do we rob you? Wait, so did you leave? Because you didn't want to come under? Because it sounds a little like the people didn't like giving and being under God. And so they're like, peace, we, let's do our own thing where we could call the shots. Because really, to come under God with your provision and to call Him provider, what is the number one thing that every man wants to be in a house? And today's day and age, every boss lady in the world wants to be. We want to be self-made, our own person. No one can tell me nothing. I don't need anybody. Self-sufficient. Why? Because we're being sold a lie in society of self. Self is good. Why? Because we've been hurt by everybody for so long as humans that we believe self is the only thing we can trust. But we come from a place that is actually different because our hearts are in something called heaven. And what we believe is that self is not a construct that we were created for. We were created for a construct called community under Creator. And we've been talking about it for weeks that we weren't a people, First Peter, and now we are a people. We had no mercy. Now we have mercy. What are you going to do with it? Random fact. Oh, you're far from me? And you kind of keep talking to me about, will you rob me? They know they robbed him. And what they're trying to say Hey, large God, who's amazing, created the world. Really? Us humans? How could we even rob you? Mere humans. Hmm. And then it says this. But you ask, how do we return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask. And it says, Entire, uh, how, are we, how are we robbing you? How, God? Why does God choose tithes and offerings? Why is this the first moment where we see God favor one man and not favor one with Cain and Abel? Why is this important to God? Why is this so fundamental, God? Why do you even care? Like, come on, are you just splitting hairs? Are you trying to show us your supreme power here? Like, why do you care about the gift? But we find it, Cain and Abel. Acceptable, not acceptable. Find it, Malachi, distant. How do we rob you? And he's, the first thing he's actually saying, you robbed me. And but mind you, he didn't kick them out because of this. They left because of this. But he is bringing it up. In tithes and offerings. Oh, the two, the two coexist, it seems. That's something. Which just means this. God's not into re, relabeling and repackaging. So like you tithe, but then there's like a need and you relabel the tithe and offering. They're two different things. They're just two different things. That just is what it is. I didn't make this up. I didn't write the Bible, right? I'm just reading it. It's not me. I'm just saying, you can't relabel it. You know what I mean? Like I know we re-gift. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm gonna say it in front of everybody. I'm guilty. I'm not above it. The Lord is watching me. I have re-gifted. But the one person you should not re-gift is God. I've got my tithe, but there's a building fund and then there's a COVID fund and then there's someone that needs something. And I had some people over for dinner this week and that's technically ministry. So like, you know, let me re-label this and use my tithe as an offering. 
because now it's both and. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, everyone's like, I got and. No, you don't have and. It's either or. It's and both. But what you see is he splits it apart. And what we, man, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Well, first of all, in order to rob someone, you must understand who has the rights to the possession. You, when uh, we often think we're blessing God with our tithe. Let's just make and split the tithe and the offering apart for a second. One is blessing, one is returning. The tithe is His. So you're returning. However, I kind of feel that he, we're kind of returning the blessing to the offering. Why? Because it's basically something He's entitled. We don't like that, do we? God's entitled? I have to give Him something? You don't have to, but you should. He gave you life, you should. He sent his son to die on a cross for you, you should. He kept the church that you love alive long enough for you to find it, you should. He blessed you with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, you probably should. And let's just take that away. Can any of us say that we are the great I am? Have any of us split the waters and taken people out of a captivity? Have any of us created this place that we stand on? Have any of us ever held the title of King of Kings? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, I think both. One is robbing him of what is his and the other one is robbing him of the honor that should be given to him. You are under a curse, not because you're robbing me. Sorry, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. You don't see that often, mind you. You do not see that often. In the Bible, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I just want to stop there for a second. I might have to split this message up into two weeks because I, I don't have enough time. But I'm going to say this. It says, note the Father's heart here because freedom is a state of heart. How God gave His Son that you and I might be free. Easter's coming up next week. Don't miss it. It's going to be a great service. But it's a matter of freedom. Freedom lives in Him, so He wants to provide it for us. He is a free-giving God. Gave His only Son. Giving is just what He does. And what you find that I think is kind of interesting in this verse is that The moment it makes its way back into his hands, he, place it, he places it somewhere for it to be available for the people he loves most. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. The minute he gets it, where does it go? The storehouse. Straight to the storehouse. Come on, let's put it straight back to the storehouse. Why? Because I want to make sure that my house has food. But I don't want to be the one that provides it alone. Why? Maybe. This, I'm, I'm maybe reaching here. This is my interpretation. I'm aware. All you, uh, you know, theologians just, just know this. I'm, I'm putting it out there. This is how this speaks to me. And it is this. That he seems to want to put it in the house, so that in the storehouse, so that there is food in his house. And although he could provide the food, what better 
proof of intersection between God and humanity when humanity humanity no longer holds the need to come under a God of provision that the earth has created, but comes under the God of provision, the God that is above all things and says, I have been taken care of so well that now I am part of taking care of. Is that not the Christian world? I have been taken care of so well that I feel a duty to take care of now. And we do it together. God uses you and me as platforms for miracles to bring people far from Him to Him. And one of the greatest ways is what? Meet people's needs. What culture might we spark if we got about meeting people's needs And all they know of church is freely giving. Second part, the priests had to play a a role here in being good stewards. They couldn't just go and devour this, reinvest it, put it on Bitcoin. (laughs) You know what I mean? They, They had to be responsible. I could stand here right now and tell you that we as a church, you won't find fault there. For years. In fact, we have only made it through a pandemic because there was food in our storehouse. Just know that. Your faithfulness, those who give 100%, but that's part of it. But if we're just squandering it, then it's still not in the storehouse. You might have given it and God will bless you because He holds you accountable for that, but He holds us accountable for that. And by no means are we the wizards and just amazing. We're always growing. We're going to courses. We're learning. But I'll tell you this, that our giving through pandemic, because people moved, because things, it did drop but we have not dropped staff members. We have not dropped providing services. This place costs something. Why? Because there was food in the storehouse. But let's be real honest. Your caution with giving is not in your real question of what we do with it. Your caution in giving is where your heart is. Because of what you love and who you love and who you serve. And you know God because God always wants to prompt you to give and promises he'll return it to you. You know the other one because he prompts you, whenever you get prompted to give, he tells you how you'll live without. Every spark of generosity gets shut down with concern, with worry, with fear. But with God, every spark of generosity is followed by another spark of faith. Do you trust me? One of the hardest things to teach my kids is sharing. When they come through, I'm like, please, I know you got candy in your hand, and we have an unexpected guest. But come on, let's give some. It's the world's coming to an end. They're like, ah, I just can't. And I'm like, come on. If you look after the people that are guests in our home, dad will look after you. If we look after the people that are guests in our home, dad will look after you. God will look after you the minute you look after the guests that are coming in his home. But if we don't have food in the storehouse, if you can't freely give, and if you've got a whole wise collection of thoughts on why you've got to wait and factor it in six months from now, there's never a good time to trust somebody. There's never a good time to fall backwards under somebody that you can't see. In fact, it's only the fact that you fell back that you actually find them. You ever felt that? You ever noticed that with a trust fall? I don't know if you're behind me and I won't know till I fall. But once I fall, what's the point of that corporate exercise? Because what does it do? It builds trust. So if you're waiting to have enough to give, then you're not trusting, are you? 
Basically, you're saying, when I have a safety net and I know this can't fail, aka same mode of provision provides a little bit more, then I'll give you a chance, God. No, no, this is not investment. This is not investing in Bitcoin. This is not like stock market. This is not waiting for a return. It's guided by the fact that we know we will return. We're going home. And when I go home, I don't want to get to heaven and only look down on earth and see proof that my heart was never there in the first place. That's going to be a hard day to look at God in the eyes and go, my heart was actually, because Let me finish with this. Actually, I won't. Yeah, all right. We'll finish with this. I'm thinking because I'm splitting up a message now over two weeks, so I've got to figure it out. But I know I got it. So let me put this. Let's go over to Samuel for me. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord and his head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests or Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. You ever thought that maybe a marker for God's presence is change? You ever thought, I've thought that because I felt it. We've all been to those meetings, like you go to church and you're hyped and you're like ready, but it just doesn't feel like anything, right? Like it just feels dry in the room, kind of feels dead. And it doesn't matter, there could be hundreds. And what I learned early in my Christian walk was that there's this thing, I was like wondering why the conference at my old church just kept outgrowing every year, hundreds and thousands of people. But then I, I, I caught it one day. I feel like God opened my eyes to something. I was standing there, stadium of 10,000 people. People just couldn't wait to get through. And I was like, man, what? Like, surely you haven't changed, God. Like, surely attaching branding, giving you three days, having a wristband and a T-shirt doesn't make you different. Like, surely you're still the same God that I was just with on Sunday. Why are these people more excited to see you this week? You know what it was? Expectancy. We think that if we show up to conference, God will show up. And you know what's beautiful? God does. But it's not because it's conference. And it's not because you got a t-shirt or a notepad that's branded and a pen and a water bottle because it's hard running conferences these days. You've got to get the people there. No, he showed up because we were expecting him to. And everybody seems to leave changed off the back of conference. So I guess we do have the marker that when God shows up, when the Spirit of God is there, something changes. So maybe freedom is a heart issue. Maybe freedom is a state of the heart. 
maybe who we allow ourselves to serve is who we actually care most about, who we hear most, who we lean into, who we incline, who we obey. Maybe freedom is exactly that. It starts in here. So if God is here, my heart should be where He is. Like we don't have my children and right now they're staying with Yaya and there's this weird place that you live as a parent, especially a parent of four. Kids are gone, you're like, whoa, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Let's just, we can do whatever we want. You're like kids again. But then it's followed in the next breath, I promise you, with, but I miss them. Man, I miss them. Ah, the little man, I love when he, he did this the other day and it frustrated me, but gosh, he's cute. And it's like, we can't fully enjoy our moments alone because a piece of us is somewhere else. So I wonder, I leave you, I ask you at home, everybody, does it stand to reason that if the presence of God is there, something changes? You know what's funny about this verse? The threshing floor was actually where they would bring the harvest, typically in Bible times. So what's this God about then? Who are you, Ashdod? You little scoundrel. Why are you around? Ashdod was a God of provision. The Ark of the Covenant was not an Ark of provision. It was an Ark of Covenant. It was a It was relationship. It was commitment. It was, I am your God and you are my people. I will provide for you and you will come alongside me. I will make you a people and I will show the world through my love for you what it is like to be a son or daughter of the Most High. We are gonna do this together. I love you. It is my, it is, I am promising you this ark has everything you need. It's got the law. It's got, it's got some sprinkling of blood on it. There's this whole structure to it. It's just there to show you I am yours. And this is what you will carry because of this covenant. You're not going to carry finance. You're going to carry my presence. And the people of the earth will know that where my presence is, favor is also. The people of the earth will know that where my, where my favor is, victory is also. I will bless where my favor is, where my presence in everything will shift. And so all of a sudden it gets captured. And they bring it into, it's like they had an understanding, but they didn't understand. It's like they, it's like they understood that this was a God that provides, but they, they added a word that's very dangerous. And I think we all have it also. And there it is, also. We think that God is an also God. I'm also okay with you loving someone else. I'm also okay with you actually coming under some other provider. I'm an also God. I'll also provide for you. And they thought he was an also God. So they're like, we'll bring him with Ashdod because Ashdod provides and I've seen him provide for the other people. So let's just bring him in. And then they go out in the morning thinking we've got twice the provision, like killing it. They come down and Ashdod is face down because... When the real King of Kings shows up, the other one bows. When the real, real shows up, everything changes. But they're not willing to bow, so they prop up. Let's pause there. Has God maybe tried to show you that He is provided by His presence?
because His presence and the fact that He loves you is enough to tell you that He's got you. And you keep propping up what He's trying to bring down. He's trying to tear down your career to lead you to a calling and you keep propping it up. He's, he's trying to open up your house to have people at your table and you keep propping up solitude. He's trying to elevate your purpose in the church that he's planted you and you keep propping up your purpose, your, your, your vision board over God's. Do you keep showing God that you want your idea of provision and what you wanna do with it and the fact that your heart is here on earth? Do you keep propping up all your, your man-made things and propping them up and they're contesting and God keeps bringing them down and you're kind of wondering, where's my flow? Where's this thing? I became a Christian. The reality is that there's not room for two. He's not an also God. So then they prop it back up. And what does it say? He had fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day they don't even step in that. This topic is coming for your livelihood. And it's going to reset it. And it's going to replace it. And I pray people, church, why I'm going hard and unapologetic and I just do not care is that I don't number my days on this earth anymore by decades. And I do not number the days of people, church, by decades. But what I do think is minutes. What are we doing with this minute, people, church? Because I don't want people, church, to be just another brand and another building that turns into condos in this city or cities around the world and it is gone and both forgotten. I want to believe that we could do something when we truly surrender to God and partner with God that in years to come, people will drink from the wells that you and I dug, both the people of God and His enemies, but both will have to remind themselves that they are only sustained by our God and nothing else. That's why we are doing this series. That's why it matters for your marriage and your confidence because if you can trust Him with that, He's got you with everything else. If you're standing there and you're like, man, Chris, you, I'm sorry, I'm screaming. I, I, I'm not kind of too, but I kind of understand that you probably feel like, why is He yelling at me? I'm just, I get passionate. Because what I've learned is that my God has provided every single need I have. And it comes out of His care and His love for you and me. And maybe you're sick of this rat race that we live. Maybe you're sick of having to scrutinize what you post. Because if you do it right, maybe you'll get more likes. If you do it wrong, you might have people just take your livelihood. If you, maybe you're sick of the corporate ladder and the tension point to, do I play the game and step on people to get to where I need to go? Maybe you're plagued by the fact that you grew up with less and now you've given your whole life to have more but you don't have the good things you had as a kid like family and love because you've misplaced provider. Maybe provision is at the bottom of a bottle or a bottle of pills or the next relationship. But see, we're not talking simply about resource. We're talking about livelihood. Livelihood is how you love, how you breathe, what you run for, how you're sustained. And God wants to be all of those things. And I just want to put it to you that if God could do it for me and the people in this room and the people beyond this room, what have you got to lose? In fact, why don't you just do a simple prayer and ask God, God, if you could be as real to me as you are to this man, maybe my life would change. That's it. Why don't you do that? Because I promise you, He loves showing up. Just like conference. If you expect Him, He'll never leave you standing there alone. 
And if you're sitting there right now feeling alone, then let's do this. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died and rose again, you shall be saved. So let's pray this. It's inviting Jesus into our heart as our Lord and Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you in our heart as our Lord and Savior. Thank you. You forgive me. You provide all my needs. I pray that today will be the beginning of the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, church. We love you. And if you made that decision, I want you to join us quickly. After this, we've got a moment. We want to show you something, give you something, and just talk to you about the next greatest things that you could do to make that choice a reality and the next steps. We love you, and we'll see you back here next week for Easter Sunday. Hey, so glad that you joined us off the back of that message. I really pray that it speaks to you. I wanna encourage you to re-listen to it because I think there's something about getting things deep into our heart. But hey, this is the beginning of your journey and I'm not promising you that everything is just perfect, but I will say this, that God will get you through everything you go through. And uh, one of the greatest places you could find Him is right here in the book of John. It's one of the Gospels and it's the reason I brought you here. I wanna give you a gift. Uh, it's just our way to partner with you. We don't know if we're gonna to get to see you in person, but we can send you this and know that this will get you moving in the right direction. So all you gotta do uh, is text CREATION to the number on your screen. If you are from Chicago, it is 312-586-8376. And then if you are from anywhere, I mean anywhere, like anywhere in the world, you can text this next number, text CREATION to 1718-550-7045. And uh, all you have to do is receive, you'll get an invitation, you just open it up, receive it, and then one of our team members will get in touch with you and we'll get this to you. Uh, we believe this, that change can be overwhelming. The journey of where you want to be can seem difficult, but small things create big change. So just keep stepping and we will see you back here next week for the next message in this series.